What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jay Cofer. This week we have the second episode with Ryan Kirby. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to leave a written review here on the Land Podcast and also a written review on the Art of Hunting Ryan's podcast and, and check that out because it's really fun and uh, enjoy a lot of his episodes. In this episode, we talk about his first real estate transaction ever, which I think is very telling and something that is a good lesson. And we have a lot of people on here that have a lot of success. And Ryan's story, story uh, besides his first house purchase, has been successful in real estate. But I think it's extremely valuable to hear other people's mistakes and help save you any potential heartache. And obviously, 2007, 2008 is kind of an anomaly in the grand scheme of things. But it's good to know. It's good to know that everything always doesn't go up in value forever in perpetuity and, and everything that goes along with all the different things. There's so much information out there and it's hard to really solidify your own plan. And that's hopefully what the Land Podcast helps with for you to make a rock solid foundation and make a good plan. So be sure to leave those written reviews and win a whitetail sketch drop from Ryan. This is a really cool collection. And if you are a whitetail nut, more than likely, if you're listening to this, it's really cool. And uh, we're gonna give away two sets. Ryan will be giving away two sets. So we're going to be announcing that on President's Day here on the podcast. So be sure to do that. Pull out your phone right now and leave a written review. And you will be in the running to win a really cool set of whitetail sketches from Ryan. And now one last thing. If you're brand new here to the show, goal here is ultra simple. It's to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be included on that list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and you're looking at an area that I have expertise in, I'm more than happy to help you out as a buyer's agent. Number two, if you want to get connected with someone I would consider doing business with, I'd be happy to make a few introductions if I can. I don't have full coverage across the country quite yet. I wish I did, but uh, there's some areas where I know some great agents and I'd be happy to make a introduction and it's your decision from there on out. And number three, if you simply learn something here from the podcast, helps you move forward, helps you take action with confidence, with a good plan and using the expertise of the guests that are so gracious to give their information and things they learned to help all of us become better landowners and just all around more polished. So that's the way we do it. We're close. We're getting so close to that 100 mark. And uh, that's it for now. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Let's get right into it. Here we go. My my experience, we've I've bought um, four pieces now. One, one on my own and then three through a partnership with a buddy of mine. But honestly, man, like, I, you know, I've, I've been self-employed now for about 10 years and uh, buying a house is miserable. It, it's, it's, it's worse than I can, I haven't had, you know, any colonoscopy yet, but it's pretty much worse than you can imagine that being, you know, dude, just, you have to turn over everything. And by the time you're getting ready to closing, you've had new bank statements come out. So you have to return over everything you turned over the previous Especially month. Especially as a awful. self-employed person, you get, you get oh, put to terrible. the fifth degree on that. Yeah. But yeah. And that's, buying farms has absolutely. been the easiest thing we've ever done. You know, I mean, I've got, I, I've worked with my buddy Tyler, who's an agent there. And then mm-hmm. we have a guy that we, we've worked through for financing. He's been great. And kind of, I mean, I learn a lot of this stuff through your podcast and the guests that, that you have. But, um, I mean, dude, the first time we had to f- turn over like an Excel spreadsheet of me and my buddies, like assets and liabilities. And yeah. and, and then we turned that in. He's like, oh, you're good to go. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, we haven't turned over bank statements or anything. It's like, and I, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like 
you know, if I if if I buy a house through the bank and then I destroy it or trash it or mm-hmm. whatever, the bank loses that asset. But it's kind of like if you're buying a wreck piece or tillable, it's kind of like you can't really trash it. Like the bank is going to get it. It's yeah. So they seem well, more lenient. At least that's what I thought. So there's, I mean, I think there's probably a couple things with that. I think the the biggest. So with people don't realize this. So with a home mortgage. Oftentimes, that bank gets a bunch of good home mortgages. That's why they're so strict. They want you to have good credit, have a good job. They bundle those up and sell them off. And so that okay. happens a lot. And and people don't realize that because the interface of ABC Bank that you bought it from, that's still who you pay your mortgage to. But they sold mm-hmm. that off more than likely, oftentimes. And so they, there's a lot more regulations. A lot of times with land, those banks hold those loans in-house. They still have to follow federal regulation, but they're not selling that off to where you know, like we can say, you know, this bundle has all, you know, like all these different checks boxes are, are X'd off. But another thing too, is a lot of times with land, you're putting down 20, 30% down. Right. And so if you default on it and you bought it for a fair price, the bank knows they can liquidate it and not lose money on it too, which just shows how stable land is honestly. And then the flip side of it with houses, if you put 5% down and let's say you're in whatever emerging market, 5% swing, after you don't take care of your house and you trash it, that thing could be yeah. worth forty percent less. And so I think that's yeah. I think that's kind of how banks look at it. I'm not I'm not a lender by any means, but I talked to a bunch of them. But that's kind of what I've picked up. And that same thing too. The first time I bought bought our first house, self employed, and that was a nightmare as a self employed person. I only been self employed for like oh, yeah. a year and a half, and then it's like, and I I was as transparent as you possibly could be. I get a K one. My wife has a W two, like you know, like lay everything out and like, and it came down. They couldn't uh, use my income because it was a K one, and I didn't have two years. I had a year, you know, I was there for a year and a half. Yep. And it was a it yep. was a stressful nightmare. And and you know, and when you explain all that on the very front end, like, hey, this is my exact situation. <laughs> if there's anything that's going to come up that is going to make this really hard, then just tell me, and, and we'll just wait. And yeah. in both houses we bought, it's there's always been like some random curveball. But with land, literally walked in the bank. This is what I want to buy. Here's my like. You can look up my bank account. I have the money there to buy it. And they're like, all right. And it was like two pieces of paper. It's like this is to your point way easier. Yeah. And dude, we to this day I haven't I haven't walked a piece before we bought it. Like I bought them sight unseen, and they're not which big is, pieces. You yeah. Know. It, which is still but crazy. And it but is, it yeah. kind of and then you have family back there too to like where it's not yes. like it wouldn't be like you trying to buy something in. Georgia and you've never been to that part of Georgia and like you kind of grew up there and you kind of know the neighbors. It's not like buying a place at the, at the, on the coast or in Montana. I would never do that because I don't know, I don't know anything about that. But yeah, to your point, it is, um, it's in my parents' home County and I can be like, Hey dad, what do you think about this place? Or, or they, chances are they know the neighbors around it. Um, Mm -hmm. know them from cattle sales and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not nearly as, ballsy as i'd make it out to be <laughs> but but it is but it is still yeah. it, it still is it still is pretty i don't want to say it's crazy because obviously it's worked out but yeah uh i i get it like i get why because a lot of times those good deals go faster or, or however they transpire like hey you have yeah. you got about 48 hour head start here <laughs> if you want to do something yep and it's not logistically possible and a lot of times w- I haven't bought Shane. I haven't, and I haven't bought anything since COVID just because it, it, it went crazy. You know, we were, yeah. we thought we, we thought, you know, we're like everybody. We thought we did a couple, we did good on the first couple and thought we had the game figured out. And then, you know, then COVID interest rates shoot up, yeah. everything went crazy. And we just 
hadn't bought anything since then. So yeah, which I think so, the data you're, the data would follow that. Are are you're a broker too, right? Not yeah. just an agent. How, so how, I'm how just an agent. Work? So Illinois says Illinois says that an agent is considered a broker. So I'm not a managing broker. So I'm oh, I'm okay. a I'm a solo dude here. Um, but okay. it's funny talking about learning. It's like I used to have to call my my poor managing broker all the time. Like, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do you suggest on this? Yeah. And now it's just like. Once you do enough, it's like the only time I call him is like I'm stumped. I need your opinion on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, the other thing I wanted to talk about too is like you've so you have w- w- talked to me about doing the first land podcast. Like, like the what, very first. Oh, what okay. was like the end game? What What were you thinking when you started that? So, like a lot of times. I, I look at numbers a lot, and a lot of times I just follow intuition. And I remember thinking, I'm going to start this. I have no clue what doors this may open, but I know they should mm-hmm. be good. And so I just started. And then once I hit, you know, once I closed my first deal from, from a guest, I was like, wow, this is, you know, there's a proven concept here. And then also just the amount of information I learned is like, this is, so really when I started, it was simply just to learn more myself, provide value to listeners, because I just felt that it was such an underserved market. I mean, at that time, and I still think this is true to some point today, you can Google stuff and you can kind of get, once again, just a very basic idea. But what about all these very, very in-depth things that guys that have bought multiple farms, what do they look for and not an AI-written article that is generic? Like that was that was kind of yeah. part of it, of just creating, basically being the liaison of really good information to anyone that wants to listen to it. And and I think that was ultimately the goal of just this feels like a very underserved, undereducated market. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way whatsoever, but I just looked at it as an opportunity that there's a lot, to, you know, there's there's a lot to be learned. And I hope to be the vehicle that helps do that. And and so that was yeah. just really the ultimately the goal. And and it's kind of it's been more successful than probably what I imagined. <laughs> just to be completely mm-hmm. transparent, I didn't realize there was that much um, people, des- you know, desiring this type of information and. And that's been the really, really awesome part of it. And now there's there's a handful of different types of similar podcasts now, which is um, which is cool just to see that this this market is getting more attention. Because I always feel that yeah, if you look at all forms of real estate, which one gets the least amount of attention? Obviously, in our echo chamber, we think recreational ground is saturated. It's crazy. Everyone's trying to do it. But yeah, <laughs> go look at go look at multifamily. Go look at commercial. Go look at all these different things. Yeah. And there's so many tools and so many resources. And still to this day, I feel that the recreational market's well behind. And, and I think, yeah. I've said on, on the podcast a lot, inefficient markets have the highest amount of opportunity. And I still feel mm-hmm. that recreational real estate is still the most inefficient market. It's gotten a lot more efficient in the last three or four yeah. or five years, but it's still the most inefficient, in my opinion. Yeah. Why, why is that? I've got my own opinion, but I'm just curious yeah. what my, the OG my, says. Yeah, so my opinion... My, I have a lot of opinions on that, and I think it actually depends on what part of the country you're listening to this as well. Um, but I think the reason it's an inefficient market is because it's every parcel is so unique. I mean, you could walk one piece that has no timber value, or you could walk a piece that has some timber value, or you could look at one that has this type of PI and it looks really great on the map, and you go walk it, and like there's a giant wet spot that takes up 20% of this field. And so yeah. and there's a lot of different things that, there hasn't been a lot of tools that you could use. And one tool I use a lot is called Acres, and it has a historical imagery map on it. And to me, like that, that, like those types of tools, I think, is what will make things more efficient. And also, too, 
the access to get information to run comps to do all these different things to look at land sales a lot of land sales are just arm's length deal meaning um hey ryan i want to sell my piece do you want to buy it yeah and then Mm -hmm. it's not listed anywhere it's not you know and so with with commercial and everything else like there's just a lot more data and obviously data is what ultimately creates a more efficient market i mean look at the stock market that's probably the most efficient market on earth if you think you can be smarter than the guys that look at spreadsheets all day and know everything like there's that type of person or that type of information is not available for recreational for recreational land. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. If, if it's out there and yeah. someone knows it, I'd love to know where, where you can find it. Yeah. I listened to your podcast. I guess it was yesterday. You went live with the one, the guy from Acres. And it was kind of, yeah. I was, I was filling some framed orders over here and it was like, it's like way too deep for me to comprehend. So I need to go back and listen <laughs> to that. Like, right. It was not really a casual listen. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, stuff like that is kind of fascinating. And, um, I, I don't know. I just, I, again, I'm a land dork, but I really appreciate like, like you talking about all that stuff. Like even pretty much, I I feel like you've covered the gamut on, on things like talking to, I think it was Skip Sly. He's like the Mm -hmm. Iowa whitetail guy. Um, everything from like plant native warm season grasses to government contracts to acres.com and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Like it's, I don't know. It's, you have a. Even though it is one, from the outside looking in, it's a relatively boring space. I mean, it's it's dirt for, to a lot of right. people. Yeah. There's a lot of nuances to it. I feel like you do a good job of unpacking all of the different uh, facets of land ownership. So, I appreciate that. I think I think there's still. I always rack my brain of what have we not covered yet, and or, or and a lot of it. I just gauge it with what questions I get asked all the time, and like, okay, you know, what what could we cover and. And there's still this so much like the fun part of it is a new farm bill is going to come out eventually. That's going to change yeah. everything, like whatever is in that. And, and so that's kind of the fun thing of that. And then interest rates are always going to be changing and inventory is always going to be changing. So that's the fun part of it yeah. is you go back, which is interesting because I, I like I'm sure you like, for instance, you haven't bought a, a piece since COVID. Like, did you ever think that? Price are going to drop. 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 Over the last four years, personally or no? I mean, I you know I come from a generation of family farmers, and so you sit around and all of the stories, without question, are like, man, I bought such and such back in the eighties, and it, that was a lot of money back then. Everybody thought I was an idiot for paying that much money, and the bank would barely loan it. Yada yada yada. And you hear that enough times, it's just kind of ingrained in you that it's going to go up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have felt like there with interest rates going up, there might be some more inventory. There might be some motivated sellers to get a deal, but as a whole, I don't think they're going to come down all that much. I mean, maybe, um, you know, my, my parents were, were farming, I think it was the eighties when the, when they had that huge, uh, mm-hmm. market tank on farmland mm-hmm. and there were some farmers that really, um, really stretched themselves. And some of them went out of business because they, they really took on way more than they could handle. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I could be completely naive, but I don't really feel, see like a 2007 housing crisis crash coming in land market. I feel like mm-hmm. there might be some more deals to come. It might dip. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm not waiting for them to cut in half before I buy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing that I've thought about too is, you know, a lot of people 
so when when Shay and I have bought, um, we got an adjustable rate mortgage on it. I think it was like a five year fixed, if I remember right. I got to look back on that. I should know that. <laughs> but there were some three year fixed. There were some five year fixed. And there were a lot of people that during COVID, like, oh, we got to get out. And they kind of impulse bought some rec ground. Um, mm-hmm. I want a place of my own. I want to get out. I'm sick of the city. Well, man, if you if you really laid yourself out there with all you could afford on a three-year arm, that thing's going to adjust. And it's going to go from four to seven or eight or whatever it is mm-hmm. now. And I, f- I feel like there might be some rec ground that comes up for sale once all these things that got sold during COVID, once the rates adjust. And some of these guys that were like living in the suburbs and one of a 60-acre piece to hunt, but didn't really fall in love with it like they thought or didn't use it as much as they thought. Now they're back at work in the office. Like they thought life was going to permanently change and it's right back to the way it was. And they stretch themselves on a 60-acre piece that's about to adjust. I can't help but think there might be some sales, but... I would. I mean, I think that's that's I an artist. That. <laughs> that's that's a, that's an artist take on the land market. So take that for what it is. Yeah. Those are all very those are all very logical things to assume. I, I agree with that. Um, I, I think it'll it'll be fun no matter what it is. And I think you know the I can't remember the exact stat, but it's like eighty or ninety percent of all farm ground in the state of Iowa is owned free and clear. Wow. Yeah. That ain't so. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so like those guys are only going to buy. Uh, and so if, yep. if there is a distressed seller, like I don't, I, and if that's the case, then in my opinion, most farms have multiple neighbors. And if just by the numbers, like two out of the four neighbors probably own all their farms free and clear. And, and, and that's all you need is yeah. two people to compete. So, um, yeah. well, and, and to be clear, like what, what I just said all there is that's the properties that I've been looking at. And so, mm-hmm. like, my family owns tillable. I'm not looking for a, a 120 of, of gumbo, sure. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. black dirt tillable. Yeah. Recreation is a different that. deal. Yeah. So, yeah, the, but, like, um, so, like, you know, kind of that western part of Hancock, you know, Brown Adams, sort of the Golden Triangle mm-hmm. stuff. There's a lot of that 40s and 60s and 80s and stuff yeah. that have kind of churned and rotated. And that's, that's more of the stuff that has been in my price range or what I could do or what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd rather have the the 40 of straight timber that's in a giant drainage funnel between all the oh, tillable yeah. for me, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's funny because, like, my dad, you know, he's he's just an old school farmer. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's, the, that's the trash. The stuff that I want to deer hunt on was the trash that they sold for three and $500 an acre I back know. in the day. Yeah. And now I'm looking for the exact opposite. Like, I don't want tillable. Tillable yeah. raises a price. I can't put a tree stand on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy how that works. And I, I, think, I think you're definitely onto something. And I think no matter what happens, we're all, we're all riding the same wave. And, and that's kind of the fun part yeah. of it. But I think it'll be, it'll be interesting nonetheless. The one thing I – which uh, I was talked with with Flint uh, on the Land Podcast about, and he he kind of feels that the the like the Fed has not lowered the rates yet, but rates are yeah. dropping, and like everything's getting priced in. So I don't know. It's there's so many doomsday like there's always doomsday people, and and then there's people who are it's extremely bullish, and I always think the truth is probably in the middle somewhere. Um, yeah. But you're right. It's like if you and this is the other thing too that I think that people a lot a lot of people have kind of fallen into what they want to do. Everyone wants to do the one-year hold, the two-year hold, buy it, and make money. 
And I, what I tell yeah. a lot of people, like I've told clients, like, how long do you want to hold it? Like, oh, a year or two. I was like, I don't think I'd buy this piece. Like, we don't know what the market's yeah. going to do in a year or two. And if you're going out on a limb here, if you said five years, I think this is a great buy. If you said three years, I would say, you know, it's a decent, like, yeah, it could be all right. But I think that's something that all of us have to, to kind of revisit and understand that historically what we have seen is a hockey stick straight up. Yeah. What is typically yeah. happening is just a trickle. And, and so that's, we have to all remember that that's really what is realistic. And so the, the one year, like this is what I want to do this is what I, you know, it could happen, but I think it's going to get harder to do that type of stuff. Yeah. You, I think you might've been talking to Bill Winky or something. I tell you, I know where I found you now. You did, you did that interview with Winky um, yeah. at his place. Yeah. And I was, it was YouTube where I found you the first time. Oh, but that's he, cool, yeah. You know, a lot, there, there's, the, the market's going to catch up to the average, you know, yes. we, we, we mm-hmm. think. And if it went straight up, well, it could level off from here for mm-hmm. 10 years and stay flat and eventually mm-hmm. catch back up to that average. There's no saying it's going to go way up and then way back down to where it should be and then climb again. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I, to me that makes a lot of sense that we may stay where we're at for, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, people even say like there was a decade or so in the stock market where you didn't really earn any money in the stock mm-hmm. market. It was just there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you, if you span bought, it out. If, yeah. I think, I think I it was seven, timing is. seven, seven years. I think there was like two times in the history of the stock market. There was two times where if you bought on the absolute highest day of the market, it would take like seven years for you to, to break even. And so, yeah, I mean, most people aren't, I mean, unless you're super unlucky and you buy a farm at the absolute <laughs> worst time, like I think five years is a pretty, is a pretty safe assessment. And like, you should be able to, to, to learn the farm and prove it. And, but I, I think yeah. the, what we all have been spoiled with of like, okay, if, if you went and did a loan again to buy another farm and you did your personal finance statement and then those farms you have now, it's going to look really good on paper. And so I think, I think that's, yeah. that's, that's fun. Well, and I learned, fortunately, um, I learned a hard lesson on real estate when I was like in my twenties, I was working for the Turkey Federation and it was two, it was, it was August of 2007. Okay. So this is like it tanked in November (laughs) and I'm, I'm an idiot, you know? Um, and I'm young and just kind of dumb and in a weird place in life. But I, I was, uh, I was looking to buy a house and dude, at that point in time, people were literally They'd buy a two hundred thousand dollar house and keep it for a year and then make forty grand and flip up. And in my head, I'm 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 a dumb, naive graphic designer, you know, but I'm like, this can't go on forever. Like if if this continues to happen, houses are nine hundred thousand dollars for a twelve hundred square foot. Like it yeah. nothing goes up forever. And I I remember thinking that before I bought, but I went ahead and bought anyway, you know. And so a hundred dollars a square foot was the going rate for a house at the time. Mm-hmm. I put um, almost zero money down, bought for like $150,000 at a 7.375% interest rate. And I will never forget uh, the housing market tanked, everything was going to crap. And then that spring, and it was kind of one of those like cookie cutter type neighborhoods in mm-hmm. South Carolina. I remember, so I, I bought it 100 dollars a square foot. I remember driving into the neighborhood that was only half built out and the sign said new construction, $55 a square foot, free upgrades, like upgrade. And I was like, I'm screwed. I am screwed. You know? So what, what ended up happening? 
So did well, you buy I, the house I, in August, and then how long did you have it? I ended up holding it. Um, I held it. Then I had roommates in. And, beca- and the crazy thing is because there was a funky, they were doing all these crazy loans at the time. And they did something in my loan where they could not refinance it. Because when the market tanked, I called to refi. And they're like, the only way you can refinance this thing is the, the mortgage company told me to do this. They said, just stop making your payments. And we'll put you in default. And we'll eventually work with you and you can get it refinanced. But, you know, I, I had enough integrity at the point. I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I, I'm not going to. I did something dumb. I'm going to take this on the chin, and I'm going to pay it, and I'm going to keep doing it. Now, hindsight, I don't know if that was right or wrong, but <laughs> I ended up paying it. Um, and, you know, the payment was half of my take-home pay, and that was a stretch. So I ended up getting roommates, um, keeping the house for, for like seven or eight years, and then Kim and I had gotten married and moved to Boone, and at that point, I'd turn it over to a rental company, and it was just like barely covering the mortgage, but it wasn't going anywhere because the interest rate was high. I still didn't have hardly any equity in it. And I ended up bringing a check for $15,000 to closing to get out from under it, like eight years later. And it's only a $150,000 house. So, but I learned then that like when you have that, this can't go on forever moment, like you need to listen to your gut sometimes yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. And if I had just waited and held out and you know you look back and you don't want to live in the past but you look back and think like those were some like kind of prime earning getting your lifestyle set up years yeah. and I, I spent a lot in interest um but yeah I learned my lesson there like if I'd have just waited dude if I would have waited six months I could have gotten a steal and started the snowball of yeah. some really good real estate money but I probably set myself back seven or eight years that way yeah, that's a really so, interesting story, and that's that's um, yep. that's you know I I get emails every now and then too. It's like you have guests on where, how great their stories are, and and you never have anyone that thing where things went sideways. And yeah, I've tried I've, like I've tried to get guests or like try to find someone that that type of story, and even especially with recreational land, I just haven't found it. And then it's like, who has enough? Who's humble enough to say they screwed up? And they, you know, like your story right there, like, I think that's a great story to share because it happens and it's very real and it sucks. And it's like, and so that's, that's really interesting that dude, there there were times, there were moments I had a big screen TV on the wall and I couldn't afford cable to watch it. (laughs) I'm not kidding, man. Uh, and, and, and again, you know, I, your credit score was a big thing. You know, mm-hmm. back then, and I was like, I don't want to just, I don't want to just stop making payments just because life got hard, and mm-hmm. I'm just gonna not pay it. I mean, that you know, people do that crap all the time, and mm-hmm. it is what it is. But like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sign up for something. Like, if I sign up for something, I'm gonna take the good with the bad. I'm not just gonna mm-hmm. bail just because it's inconvenient now for me when yeah. Yeah. I did it. So <clears throat> I didn't. Um, you know whether that was the right move or not. I don't did know. That, I'm sure did that make you business people? Did that make you more nervous? So you were basically one of the people in the Big Short, basically. <laughs> the yeah, with, yeah, <laughs> that that's an were, awesome movie. You were part of that. So when you went to go buy your first piece of recreational ground with that as part of your experience, were you 
were you really nervous or were you like what was your emotion at that point because like man the first deal i ever did well, was a nightmare well i i was also i guess i recognized that i did something dumb it wasn't necessarily the market you know what i'm saying so like sure. i was just i was just naive i was dumb um and again, dude, there was no one losing money in housing when I mm-hmm. bought. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I even remember people saying, like, I was going to um, go rent somewhere. Like, no, you need to buy. Like, buy a house. Have equity. Build your credit. Everybody's flipping them and making money. And I learned then, the biggest lesson I learned then is just to be a little bit um, counterintuitive, countercultural. Like, yeah. like, for example, yeah. I invested a lot when the stock market tanked during COVID. Because everybody's mm-hmm. running from the market, you got to do. You got to go. You got to do the opposite. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I learned a valuable lesson. Them is not just to get caught up and do what everybody else is doing and swim with the other fish. <clears throat> but since then, um, Kim and I had made some really good financial decisions. So she had bought a condo at Lake Norman. We paid that off and then sold it and did well there. We we made a series of we corrected the snowball. Mainly yeah, because yeah. I think she's got better intuition than I do. <laughs> and so when we when I bought that first farm, um, it was not it wasn't as big of a deal, you know, then. Um mm-hmm. and the other thing is that the house when I first bought it was all I could afford. So there wasn't a lot of margin for error. So you, um, yeah. Which which is an important thing because I always say like you gotta have a moat around you in case something like that does happen and, and you're like yep. all the chips in the center and dealer bus yeah. <laughs> and you know i didn't have any savings i didn't have any other investments i didn't you know now building the art business we've got some more streams of revenue coming in mm-hmm. I'd, I'd started making some pretty good money working in the outdoor industry and and so it wasn't that big of a deal but i also knew it like it's something that i knew and yes. and i didn't know housing when i bought my first one i still don't really know housing but this was something that i knew um, something I was passionate about, <clears throat> and um, we we did really well on it. Which um, you've had guests before on that talk about, like when you're getting your spouse into it, you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta knock that first one out of the park sometimes to get them on board. And mm-hmm. we've done really well on that first piece, and still own it today. So mm-hmm. um, it had a it had about sixty some marketable walnuts off of it that I didn't know at the time. So we cut that and did really well there. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, pretty much all the things that, that you talk about on the podcast are true. Now you got to know it, you got to be ready. And then when the time comes, you just got to do it. When you, when you bought your house, did you, what was the agent saying? Like, Oh, this is a great buy. You're going to do excellent on this. Or, or was there not much dialogue there? I mean, they were just churning, you know, I mean, when I say, um, it was, it was kind of like the recent housing market. Everything was just going. That's why I'm asking. Nothing I'm just trying to draw down. parallels. Yeah. I mean, no, it, it, um, and the, the ironic thing was when we bought our house in Boone, we got a steal because the market had corrected and we bought at the bottom going up. Mm-hmm. But, um, they were more like, and, and I think she was a new agent too. She'd only been in the market a couple of years. So all they've seen is, great the the rosy stuff Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like well yeah if if you can afford the payment it's a great idea you know it Mm -hmm. never goes down (laughs) that kind of stuff (laughs) and 
And and to be fair too, nobody had seen a crash like that. You it's know? historic. I mean, yeah. nobody nobody'd seen that before, so nobody really saw that coming. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, dude, you 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 sit in a house that you can't afford the cable in long enough. It's a sobering experience. And, it's uh, got to be like, it's what a did I do? Experience. Yeah. But the the other interesting thing that I learned then too is, so the market tanked, but they were still building new construction in there. So, and this really hurt me too, because you could buy for less than what I initially paid for, you could buy a brand new construction the way you wanted it to with upgraded countertops, upgraded flooring, upgraded everything. And then those are baked into the market. So even when the market comes back up in my neighborhood, there's a comparable house right over here with granite countertops and better flooring than the entry level that I bought. So yeah. what I learned is that that never goes away from the market. So even mm-hmm. even when the, the rising tide raises all the boats, some of the boats are still nicer than the boat that you might have. Yeah. And that that's really the reason that, um, that I never got my money back is because in that neighborhood, there were upgraded houses that, that people would go for for mine. Where if the neighborhood had been built out on an equal playing field then I would have probably gotten out of that a little bit better. But yeah, man, what a, that's, yep. that's where I always, I'm asking myself all the time because I, you know, if you spend any amount, if you spend any amount of time on the internet at any time, it's like the doom, like things are going to get worse. Things are going to get worse. And I feel bad sometimes yeah. when people are paralyzed by that. And then on the flip side, like for example, where you bought that and they're like, it, it never goes down. It's, it's, this is a great buy. And I try to be very conscious to be in the middle of that because I don't want to be uh, like anyone that takes verbatim advice from a podcast. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no matter who it is, but it's like yeah. somewhere like to try to stay in the middle. Like you have to have at least one ear up for caution and then maybe one ear up for opportunity and don't make yeah. both of them the same. I, w- I would love to know more about like the uh, when the market turned in the farmland. I think it was the eighties. If yes. I, if I've got that, yeah, eighties right. farm and a lot of farmers went under. I'd I'd love to hear some stories about that because yeah, I that's not that something too. you hear very often. Yeah, I would I would love to do that, and I I I need to need to do a better job to find someone that would be willing to talk about that. But I mean, I remember. It was probably two summers ago. I was Steve Hansen, and we were just talking about this is once again like when the market was still riding up and having the same conversation almost as we are right now yeah. with him driving around a farm in Iowa. And one thing that I found really interesting was that the reason CRP, one of the reasons arguably why it was enacted, was to help with the farming crisis at that time. Because, yep. and so like there's more infrastructure now to hopefully counter something like that. But um, like the house, the house where I live, my um, my great great grandparents actually bought it, and then my great grandparents ended up selling it in like '78, which was like the start of, you know, they aged out as a farming. It was an old crappy farmhouse, and they sold it. Yeah. And and then I have I actually have the their deed in my desk here, and to see what they bought the darn place for, <laughs> you know, like in 1945 <laughs> from their parents, it's like it was something stupid, like 1,200 bucks for the whole place. And it's like yeah. how how did that? Ha- like I wish they were still alive. And I'm just like, what was your thought process here? You know, and, or like why did it make sense in your opinion? But that's is that the house you live in now? Yeah. So they sold it in '78, and then they tore the whoever uh, the people that bought it tore down that house and built a, a like a ranch style house and that's where I live now. And so like the foundation okay. the foundation of their old house 
um, is still there, which is, it is like when we bought this, sometimes on the podcast to complain about the deer hunting and <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> for this, the other farm I have is actually really great, but this one is frustrating for a variety of reasons, but I, I have to remind myself I bought it for kind of just a, a cool sentimental aspect of it. And like the old Quonset hut that they had built, uh, is in the sixties is still there. And it's like, there's some, there's some cool yeah. things or like the fence posts. Like I wonder who pounded that fence post in there. Or like, so there's that, that type of stuff when you're out there working around or you walk by a giant Oak tree and it's like, you know, you just know that multiple people yeah. along my family had walked past that. And it, it does make you have a little bit more pride to, to take care of, you know, the ground that they once took care of, which is, which is pretty crazy yeah. and, and really cool. Ultimately very fortunate for that. But I, Did, does it have I land thought, with it? Yeah, so a house in 40 here. Yep. Oh, 40? Okay. Yep, yep. Yeah. So the I actually have a plat map from 1911, um, which has their the, the trust that owned it from when my great-grandparent owned it. And so it was originally larger, and they actually sold the tillable off, and then they sold that. Actually, let me back up. They sold the whole farm in the 78, and then we ended up buying the house, and then about a year or two previous to that, they parceled off the tillable and sold the tillable off. So like there was still the original 40. Okay. And then there was a field next to it, but um, yeah, it is just it's it's crazy. Just when you look back and to your point with conversations of old farmers of, I wish I would have bought more or whatever the case may be, like those those are always in the back of your head. I was just visiting with a farmer that um, he's like, I was the first person in this county to pay ten thousand dollars an acre, and everyone thought I was an idiot. And then I was like, where's it at? Yeah. And he tells me, I was like, what's the PI? And he tells me, like, I think you did okay. <laughs> you know, and that wasn't even that yeah. long ago in the, in the grand scheme of things. And that's like those stories, once again, I think line up with time in the market versus timing the market. And that's, yeah. you know, that's just something that we all have to accept as hard as it is. Man, and one thing that I, I know you've seen, but like there's a lot of people like <clears throat> my whole family was farmers and my brother and I, he lives in Kansas City. We're in North Carolina. Um you know, we'll, we'll inherit ground one day, but there's also, I think there's an 80 that's going to get split like 12 ways or something like that oh, in wow. my family. Oh, with like, the family. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people in, in our generation that have moved away from the family farm. Mm-hmm. And like my buddy Josh that stayed local there, he's getting big. He's growing their family operation because he's mm-hmm. renting all the stuff that used to be done by, you know, family farmers. And, you know, you, you can't farm 200 acres anymore and and raise a family on it. You know, you just can't do that. So it really is an interesting time. I feel like in the market is this next generation, like what's going to happen? Are we going to go big farm tech, like big corporate farms or will the people like me and my brother will keep it and then run it out to neighbors and stuff. But I don't know. It's interesting, man. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I remember asking, this might've been two summers ago. I was at a bank and I was asking, it was a, it's a smaller bank and, you know, multi-generational. And I said, you know, what's, a lot of people walk through this door for good and bad reasons. What's, what's the themes of both? And then, you know, they, you know, they, they all, they had their stories, but then they, I said, what is the biggest opportunity in your minds over the next 20 years? And there, that's exactly what, what they said was a lot of these farmers that age out or where there's a lot of interest in it, like that could be a great opportunity to buy that type of ground because there's going to be a lot of inventory for that. And then I also think just how this country works and how business works is like the bigger ones get bigger and the smaller ones get smaller. That's every industry and every space. I wrote a book called uh, uh, Play Bigger, and I can't remember the stats, but it's like, don't quote me on it, but only 10% of the market eats up 90% of profits. 
in whatever industry it is. Wow. So when you think of that, you know, if, if land hold like farmers for that example, like, well, if 10% of them are making 90% of the profits because they're larger, they, they have a lot of uh, financial, they just have more opportunity. They can have bigger equipment because they can afford it because they farm more and like that continues to compound. So I do think ultimately that will be, that'll happen um, to what yeah. timetable. I don't know. And, and I also think it happens in different phases across the country. This is something that I'm really fascinated with. And, and I really feel that the entire history of the country is go West, go West, go West. Right. And so, yep. and now I, I think about it in a whitetail perspective. Okay. What was one of the biggest areas that popped off for, for deer hunting in our time, right in your backyard, that's like little corner of Illinois. Right. Yep. And then jump maybe five, 10 years later, where's it at? Southeast Iowa. Where's it at mm-hmm. today? South central Iowa. So it's like, mm-hmm. I also wonder too. So where is, if, as just a whitetail now, like where does, where's the next best hunting? Because whether we want to admit it or not, we as humans exploit whatever resources there. I'm not saying yeah. you and I, but as a, as yeah. a, as you put a hundred people together and there's this awesome resource, it's going to get exploited whether we want it yeah. or not. And so like, yeah. I almost wonder like, what is the future of whitetail hunting and, and where is the next you know, 20 years from now, like, oh, do you remember hunting this part of the country during this time? Oh, it was the best in the country because that's how it is in Illinois in some parts where it's like, man, you should have been here. Yeah. At some point. And you know that better than probably than anyone. You were there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Pike County became the golden triangle. I remember like in the nineties and stuff. And <clears throat> you know, you talk to people there and there's, I mean, it's always going to be good, but you talk sure. to people there and they're like, yeah, every one thirty has a target on its back because mm-hmm every bloody flooded into it. And we've even seen it come north into Hancock County. You know, sure. I, mean, there, I, I saw more, um, you know, out-of-state license plates, which is ironic because I'm one of them, you know. But we <laughs> grew up Those darn out-of-state. Um, yeah, it, it is so funny, man. It Like, you get in, me and my buddies were talking about, I've got a couple buddies that usually come up with me, and Shay that bought with me there. Um, but, yeah, we look at everybody else like a non-resident. <laughs> you know? And it's uh-huh. like... If you're, if, if like my local buddies that I grew up with are buddies with my buddies, um, it's like, if you're in the circle, we love you, but don't you show me your non-resident tag if I don't, if I don't know you, cause then you're, <laughs> you're a freaking pile of crap, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? But I mean, there was a dude, there was a dude that got permission on 10 acres of, of timber that was hunting every single day on 10 wow. acres, morning wow. and evening. And he was our na- he was on our neighbor right on our, our fence for the most part. What but, state? Do you um, remember what state he was from? North Dakota, but he, I think really? he was originally from Minnesota. There's a lot of Minnesota. Um, there's a lot of um, Alabama, Georgia, a lot of Florida. Um, but there, th- there's more non-resident pressure there than there ever was, ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever, and. Um, to your point, man, I don't know where the next great refuge is. The next yeah. thing, I mean, it, you hear a lot about like the Kansas and Oklahoma, um, <clears throat> places like that. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, and I and I and then I also think, okay, just assuming adventures west, right? And then mm-hmm. eventually that you know go as far as the whitetail ranges, and it's completely, you know, the good old days are gone across the entire country. And then it's like, then, yeah. then what? I wonder. And I, it, there's really good pockets across the entire country. I mean, at the Harrisburg yeah. show, some of the deer that people show me from out there where you wouldn't think there'd be big deer, there's big deer everywhere and there's good pockets everywhere. Yeah. But as just generalization of this is what it was like in X year and this is what it's like now in Y year, 
it seems yeah. to be that that comparison is not positive. Like, well, it, it wasn't very good, and now it's really good. And some of those only yeah. states that come to mind are out east, like Pennsylvania, for example. Like, there's some big deer out there now. Yeah. And so I just wonder, to jump in a time machine, what it looks like 50 years from now. That oh, actually man. keeps me up at I, night I sometimes. Did. <laughs> I really do I, think Well, I, I talked to Kip Adams um, on a podcast a couple months ago. Um, we were talking about antlers, and he, he said, like, right now – we are sort of in the golden age of deer hunting, deer management. You know, if you've seen them kick some of their stats out where like, you know, the average buck that used to be killed was like a year and a half old or, or the, mm-hmm. the, the largest. And now that is starting to stretch out a little bit where, mm-hmm. you know, two and a half and three and a half year olds are, are the, the, the one that's killed most often. And he's like, from a statistical standpoint, harvest, we are in the golden age of letting deer grow to, you know, to maturity there. I I feel like a lot of times I, f- I feel like we're going to have to make changes. I, I don't know. I, outside looking in, it feels like Iowa's done it really well with a one buck mm-hmm. um, limit, gun season after peak breeding, you know, later on. And I would love to see Illinois do something like that. I'd love it, love it, love it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> southern states are just, you know, like here in North Carolina, you can kill two bucks and four does. Um you know, I'd love to see us regulate that a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. I I feel like you, a lot of us do a pretty good job. Go ahead. Would, would you be okay with Illinois following a similar model to Iowa as a non-resident? <sighs> you got me there. Because <laughs> I'm just thinking. Well, you I, know. <laughs> I I really don't know what what is uh, what is so, Iowa's non-resident landowner process. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you still have to. You still have to put it. You're so st- if, still not yeah, resident. So, yeah. So if you bought in yeah. a zone that takes five points, it's still going to be five points. And in Iowa, you can actually shoot three bucks as a landowner. You get an archery tag for a buck, a, a firearm tag, and then if you're a landowner, you get a third buck. Um, okay. So it's not but, just one buck across correct, the board. Yeah, but as a as what, a non-resident, it's a it's a one buck, obviously. Yeah. What what would it do? Uh, so I mean, if you owned 800 acres in Iowa, you'd have to draw every five years. Yes, and a lot of those guys yeah. end up getting firearm tags because they can hunt, uh, you know, like every other year or every two years. Or yeah. if if someone has a, a – you can buy a governor's tag too, which I don't know what those are going for now, but some of the, the giant landowners, they buy governor's tags, which, yeah. I mean, I, I would too if I was in that position. Um, but, yeah, so for instance, where I hunted in Iowa, it took me six years to draw that tag. Yeah. Did, five, is that five, your – I had five points. Okay. Man, I don't know, man. I I would probably, I'd probably bounce around. Like if they literally did that tomorrow, I probably mm-hmm. would. Uh, that'd be a tough pill to swallow because like my parents' farm is there. Like one mm-hmm. of the reasons we bought up there is like to take grandkids back and I'll yep. deer hunt and they can see the grandkids. So that's a big reason why we've got equipment there. Um, I would really have to look long and hard about selling the family farm. Honestly, yeah. because, because, yeah. you know, deer hunting is like the, the reason I would keep it. It's where mm-hmm. all my sentimental is like, I'm not going to go back there just to walk, walk the field edges and reminisce and right. catch a bluegill. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. I would, I would look, I would look long and hard about, um, either, uh, you know, applying and then renting it out, leasing it. The, to somebody mm-hmm. I trust, the years where I couldn't hunt it, that could be an option. Um, 
But, you know, I'm not really passionate about deer hunting in North Carolina. I, I just I haven't been. As, as Rhett gets older, we're doing it more. Um, and it's fun. It's something to do. But um, when I think about deer hunting, like if you ask me where you at in November, it's it's the Midwest. It's Illinois. It's the property I own, my, my parents' place and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that'd be a tough pill to swallow. Um, but I, I would absolutely go to like a Kentucky, which is closer to us. Um, find, maybe find a big piece in Missouri that I could manage well, um, or Kansas, uh, or bounce around, but you know, that's Illinois is, uh, it, the beauty of it is it's over the counter, but that's the blessing and the curse at the, the same yeah. time, you know? Yeah. I think I'm probably going to be wrong on this stats. So someone can correct me, but I think obviously Iowa, I think they gave out 6,000 tags for the entire state for non-residents. That's archery and gun hunting. And then I believe Illinois did 60,000. Wow. Non-resident tags. Yeah. Yeah. If that doesn't wow. kind of show. And I, and, I, and I don't know this for a fact. I read this somewhere that half of the Iowa non-resident tags only get filled too. So there's only, there's only 3,000 deer I mean, that, that are shot. And that's a 50% success rate, which seems fairly high. You know, you don't yeah. know what caliber of deer that is, but that's pretty high. Mm-hmm. It, uh, archery wise, anyway, um, I'd be curious to know what Illinois is. Who knows? It, it, you bring up an interesting point with Kip, though, talking about like the golden age of management. I also yeah. wonder, us as hunters, our expectations are higher than ever, as well. I think that might play into yeah. part of to part of what this is too. It's like our our expectations are extremely high because of what we can see very easily on the like before. You lived in an echo chamber, and you would go to the archery shop, and you would see, like, oh, that's a great deer, and you know maybe it's a 140. And then now you have palm – you can sit in your tree stand and be like, man, where I hunt sucks, <laughs> you know, because someone's yeah. always killing a big deer. <laughs> and I, I, wonder, I wonder if it's like – you know, I think a lot of it's empirical data of what your opinion is. And, and I, I mean, I have – I can see how farms that I've hunted for a while, how they have changed, and some, some have gotten worse, and, and only a few have gotten better. So I, yeah. I do wonder, I, man, I just, it's such a, it's such a very, it's a fiery conversation, no matter who you have oh, it yeah. with. And it's just, and, and there's not enough true hard data to try to change anyone's mind either. It's just all opinion yeah. and, and you're not changing most people's opinion when yeah. it comes to hunting. And it's so funny, dude, cause everybody's like, uh, I mean, whatever you're doing is okay. What everybody else is doing is not okay. They're, they're really great way to put it. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Like it was just like the resident non-resident thing. It's like, uh, you know, damn out of staters are killing all our deer, but you know, your buddies an out of stater. Hey, what you seeing? How you doing? Yeah. Any good? You want to go hunt my oh, place? Congrats. You know, it's yeah. just like, yeah, yeah congrats. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is interesting that, that, you know, the social media has kind of changed the game and the expectations a lot and sometimes for the good a lot of times for the bad you know i mean yeah and we've all seen it um i've seen friendships ruined over a deer i've seen you know my my buddy dave emkin he he's in uh yates city up kind of by galesburg mm-hmm. and he's he's been he was one of my best buddies in college his dad he's a taxidermist and the dude's killed everything he's killed boone and crockett moose with a recurve i mean he's just he's he's done it all man but he has the best attitude about everything you've ever met he just loves it because he loves it and he's just Mm -hmm. like you know what it's a freaking deer 
Like you're gonna you're gonna ruin a family relationship or a friendship over a deer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just. But we do. <laughs> we get yeah, crazy over yeah. them, you know. And that's interesting too, because I I've noticed that with a lot of people that have that attitude, are usually the guys that are killing the buck they're after, or like you know, it's not very yeah. often. And I almost think it comes down to mindset, where if you just feel really jaded and you feel like everything is against you, and every 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 car that drives by is a pain in the like you know people yeah. fall into these different mental traps. Like, are you kidding me? They got to drive by right now. And so, but then you have the <laughs> other person that is just like it is what it is. I, I think we all could adopt that and be better. I mean, so I have a funny, interesting story about that. So, um, I had, um, the, I killed a, a booner. Um, I guess it was 2021. 20, he ended up, he grossing up grossing two Oh three. Not a booner. Yeah. That's a 200. <laughs> yeah. He was a two Oh three. He He's net boon by an eighth of an inch, but he was 203 inches. And, some people don't believe me. We didn't have pictures of him. We didn't know he was there. Like this deer mm-hmm. showed up late uh, December the previous year, and he was like high one seventies, like a great deer. We'd never seen him before. No crazy history, nothing. So he was he he was probably mid one seventies. We didn't find his sheds. We didn't have any pictures of him. We had nothing. Well, the deer blew up. He put like thirty inches on, and he was two hundred three inches, and. um I went up there, dude, and for the first three days, I didn't have a good wind to hunt my parents' place, so I was hunting my other 40 out there, and I finally had a decent wind, so I was like, I'm going to go hunt this one stand we've got, and I get in there, and it was 76 degrees, it was hot, it was nasty, and it's just, you're literally sitting there looking at the weather, weather like, okay, what am I going to hunt Tuesday? You're planning your hunts <laughs> like two days from now when the weather changes, yeah. doing that whole deal. Yep. And then, and I'm literally in a freaking t-shirt and then, uh, the fertilizer spreader or the, um, he was spreading anhydrous from FS pulls in and I'm in a U-shaped field in a cedar tree and he's in one of those big spreaders, you know, he's sitting 12 feet off the ground and it was, you know, say it gets dark at, uh, I don't know, six, it was like four 30 when this happened and he pulls in dude. And he's coming in and he's driving at me and we're like eye level, you know, I'm waving to him and he's waving back and he does the whole field, which is like a 12 acre field. And I'm just sitting there like, what, what the hell else can happen? You know, it's 76 degrees. I don't have a deer that I want to kill. FS guy and me are like, you know, hanging out in the same field. (laughs) And, um, and so he pulls out and he goes on his way. And then right at last light, I shot that deer and, my dad was, was kind of buddies with that FS guy. And he's like, yeah, uh, my, my son Ryan was in the stand, you know, when you spread that field. And he's like, yeah, he, he shot this deer. And he's like, well, that's funny because I literally, the field before that, some dude from Wisconsin was sitting on the edge of the field. And I, I did his field, and he chewed my tail up and down the other for ruining his hunt, you know, because mm-hmm. of the – I pulled in while he was hunting there and all that kind of stuff. And then he got pissed at the landowner because why would you let somebody work on the field when I'm hunting and I'm leasing and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, dude, they're, they're used to it. You know, just chill out. You know what? My life is so like stressful now with running the business and we've got employees and two little kids. And it's like, dude, hunting's a vacation. Like I'm, I, I got time to be stressed out over deer hunting. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to put my all into it and I'm going to dork out over it as much as anybody else. But at the end of the day, like I got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> I got yeah. other things yeah. to worry about. 
Yeah. I got Chinese That's counterfeits a, I'm fighting here. I'm not going to worry about a <laughs> FS guy. Yeah. A mess. But, I, but, like, if you threw the guy from Wisconsin in that in your tree stand, for example, he would have got down. He would have been mad. He would have oh, yeah. thinking about going home. Pissed. And, and that's just the thing. I just, I think, uh, I think we all need to take a deep breath every now and then. I mean, everyone. Yeah. I, I, we all get worked up at, at times. And if you don't, you're you're probably not passionate about it. So I get it. But yeah, yeah. definitely, I'll take a deep breath every now and then. <laughs> yep. So what's ne- what's next? Uh, what do you got for the podcast in 2024, man? Man, I uh, I've been brainstorming a lot on this actually, and I think I'll be curious with the farm whenever the farm bill actually uh, gets pass through i know it's been delayed multiple times now that would be something i really want to dive into with someone that's familiar with that and, and what we all could look for as landowners is something that's top of mind and honestly i just love sharing or hearing the stories of those first-time land buyers no matter where you're at in the country and no matter what your story is i think a lot of people feel bashful because we've had some excellent guests and they're like why would you want to hear my story and it's like your story yeah. is the most relatable <laughs> that's why we want to hear it and i think that's yeah. something that uh, i just want to hear more and more of those i mean i get it's weird it's almost as an agent, you can kind of tell what's going on with the market. But what's most interesting is the influx of emails throughout the year of, hey, I just closed on my first farm. Hey, I just closed on my first farm. There's a lot of people buying farms right now because I'm getting a lot of those emails right now. So the biggest thing, I think, is sharing these relatable stories of people that bought ground and then get the get the key experts in uh, when they when they fit. And I, <clears throat> I also – I do like getting other agents on there too and hearing their perspective and some things that they – you know – for an agent, this is what they deal with every day. They, but yeah. for you or for whoever, like when you sell a farm, you're only going to get to sell that thing one time and maybe you only do three deals yeah. in your life. And so someone that's done a hundred or 200 or 300 or 500, I think inherently they have really good perspective. So I think just continuing that. And I always internally at Exodus, there was many years where we would plan out the entire year, top to bottom. This is what we're going to do this month. This is what we're going to do this month. And then all of a sudden TikTok pops off and now we got to be on TikTok or all of a sudden YouTube shorts are really big. And yeah. now we, so, so as much as I'd yeah. love to say, I have this really great detailed plan, I'm going to pivot and, and yeah. probably, you know, see what works and what doesn't work throughout the year, which is, that's, that's the fun thing. And I think what's interesting is when I started land podcasts, that was, there had been podcast episodes about buying land, but now there's, there's multiple like land, like very similar podcasts that are out there now. And I think that, yeah. uh, that, always just makes everyone get better. So I, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not like, Oh man, dang it. But it's like, Oh, I, I have to get better. And so I yeah. think that's the, that's the fun thing about any form of business or whatever it is. It's like, you have to, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So don't be stagnant. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where it's at. Well, and the beauty of it is too, like you said, it changes so fast. There's always going to be new stuff to talk about. Like, you know, the new, new trends in the market, new laws, new farm bill, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. What, so the only thing I know from Farm Bill is CRP. What what else is in the Farm Bill that would really affect land? <laughs> That's a really good question. My wife uh, works at the FSA office, so she she would have been very yeah. good to answer this question. Uh, I know CRP. Yeah, I should. Um, I think CRP is the biggest one, but there's like uh, 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 price loss coverage. So if commodities go down, you can lock in a certain price. And so there's this. Huh. I mean, it's a ginormous bill. There's a lot of different things, and that's where. I think sometimes, and I am not a farmer, so this this is just my coffee table uh, answer to this. But I think a lot of people think like if commodities drop, then the farming market's going to just tank. I think there'll be some people yeah. that do get hurt from that. But there's a lot of people that do uh, that price loss, price loss or profit loss coverage or something like that, uh, PLC, to where they're locked in for a certain amount too. So I think 
There's a lot of different stuff. I mean, equip, um, the amount of funding that you could do for projects. So equip is a way to improve your ground through the NRCS office and, and get cost share to do those projects. A lot of that's dependent yeah. on how much funding there is. So, I mean, you know, there, it, there could be a lot. I mean, there might be, maybe you'll get more money for pollinator programs or maybe, I mean, there's just a lot of different things that could happen. And I think, we all we all heard about like four hundred dollar CRP rental rates during a certain farm mm-hmm. bill for pollinator program. Like, as a landowner, you want to know what's going on so you can be the first to to adopt that because once the funds are exhausted, they're exhausted. And so that has me yeah. pretty excited to figure out what that is. But um, we'll, we'll, I'll be I'll be curious. But yeah, the, for for someone listening to this, pretty much CRP and Equip is what you're going to want to look at the most. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got I got two ideas for you before we go that just came yeah, at the top of them. my head. The, well, the first. I'd love for you to do an episode with somebody who went through like the farming crisis in the eighties. Yeah. But I was just thinking you should do an episode on, I just inherited a farm. What do I do now? Like someone who literally, I have, I have that in the spreadsheet of ideas. Yeah. That exact thing. The other thing is my wife was asking me about this the other day. She asked if the Mississippi river ever flooded. And do you remember the flood of 93? I was born in 94. (laughs) You were born in 94. Yeah. Bro. You make me so feel, feel so bad about how much I've accomplished in my life. Anyway, the flood of 93 would be a great, great um, thing to like talk about. Because the Mississippi River flooded. There was a lot mm-hmm. of rain up north. And, mm-hmm. and throughout the year, I'll send you some links on it. But it was fascinating, dude, because... Like where we were at, we were up on the river bluff. We were never in any danger. But you go south a little bit and the floodplains open up and a levee would break and there'd be, you know, several thousand acres go underwater immediately. Mm -hmm. Well, they started breaking in like the late summer. And there were, I remember um, some of the farmers that lived up high were in no danger. They were selling grain to the elevator out of their storage because that year's market was wiped with with that mm. flood and mm-hmm. they were capitalizing on the great grain prices where guys down the road were trying to salvage anything they could because they oh were about gosh. to get wiped out and they're waiting in line at the elevator there were like fist fights at the elevators um i remember seeing in um in west quincy a levee broke and there was an old barge that was had been sitting on the river and it sucked through the levee and it knocked the top off of a gas station it went over the top of it on the water and there were flames burning on top of the water. Like, it would be really cool if you could find somebody who was in the middle of that flood yeah. of 93, how they were affected, um, how their That's farm worked. I mean, it, it could have taken 10 years for them to recover. I, I don't really know. I, I, was only, I was only nine years old when that uh-huh. happened. But I remember seeing it. And it could be a really cool... Um, uh, there, you could get some really cool land stories, I bet, out of that. Oh, my gosh. That would, you, yeah, that, that's an excellent idea. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, tell us about the good old days there. <laughs> that's, so, that's really, that's fascinating. Yeah, I wrote that down. Yeah. Um, well, no, that's, that's yeah, I'm, I'm excited for 24. Or, I mean, I think, go ahead. Another thing, too, is, is uh, there's Bear Creek down south and, like, uh, land that floods a lot. You know, mm-hmm. that's always a thing because sometimes land comes up, but, f- you know, for a non-resident like me, dude, I may put, invest a ton in food plots. And if it floods, that flood water's up, I'm wiped for the year. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you price that in as a, as a non-resident buyer or, 
what's the value of laying in a floodplain type deal versus I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick answer on this because I dove into this recently. So let's say with historical imagery now you can you can kind of tell when it when it the years it yeah. floods. And so let's say you go over a 10 year period and it flood two times out of the 10, then I use that kind of factor of two to, to price into that. But ultimately the, the market okay. dictates what it is. But there's a, that same farmer that I was visiting with that was the first person to buy $10,000 an acre dirt in this county. He bought a piece that is in a floodplain. And it's been good the last two years because they're working on the river further north and the river's been historically low. He's owned it for two years. Okay. And um, I remember as a kid, I, would, I was in a canoe kayaking underneath the irrigator pivot and I could touch it. <laughs> You know, so it's, it was yeah. like, and so I just, I just said, he said, well, it's been pretty good the last couple of years. I, said, I understand that, but you know, there, there's probably going to be yeah. a year where you're going to lose a lot. And he's like, well, that's yeah. okay. And so it, I, it is definitely a factor. And I think that's, that's, um, as a buyer for, let's say recreational ground, it definitely should factor into what the price is because you know, it, it's going to go into <clears throat> whoever buys, it's going to have the same question. How often does it flood? Yeah. What you lose, and, and what does it do? And then obviously it impacts what type of vegetation is going to be on it, and what what can you plant? We have uh, there's a piece that is in a floodplain. Guess what? You can plant a lot less because there's not a ton of flood tolerant things. So you're planting a lot of red yeah. dogwood. You're planting a lot of swamp, swamp white oak, and and whatever else can live in a flood. And so as yeah. a habitat manager, there's a lot less fun things that you can plant. Like you're not going to be able to plant a bunch of fruit trees uh, in reality. Yeah. So there, that's a great point. There's way once again so many nuances to all of this. And that's what's fun. Well, you, uh, I guess you could always duck hunt. No offense to your high school mascot, you could hunt mallards. You could, yeah, you could. I, uh, I like deer hunting a lot more. I, I, uh, people do duck hunt because this is where it sounds like. No, I, I simply Not cannot really. afford to do both. I can't yeah. simply afford. I cannot have two hobbies like that. I just can't. In just how I am, it's like deep into one niche, and I can't do. Yeah. That. It's fun to go with somebody who has a boat, a dog they've spent hundreds of hours training and the decoys and all that kind of stuff and just shoot for a morning. But yeah, I ain't got time for that either. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But so. I'll be curious what 24 has, has in store. It's an election year, which I think a lot of people usually, they kind of just batten down the hatches and, and whatever, whatever their views are, they want to see how things unfold. So um, yeah, it would be, once again, just how inefficiencies or, or lack of, there's probably a stat on, or I know there's a stat on what the S and P 500 did on election years. And you could look at every, yeah. was it trended up or did it trend down or was it just like a typical year? It'd be fun to see that yeah. type of information data with land. So people can make those types of decisions, but I'm not aware of that data, but maybe someday I'm sure it's going to happen. Someone's going to do yeah. it out there. Well, the dude from acres sound like he's got a lot of that stuff figured out. It's cool that they're tracking yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. They're, they're really, really sharp. And I think when it comes to, Basically, allowing all this information to the general public, I think they're definitely the leaders in that front. And, and the Heartland report that they did was excellent. And, I mean, anyone can access that. And I think that type of information used to have a paywall. I mean, I pay, I think, 550 or $600 a year to get the Illinois Land Sales Bulletin just so I can look at okay. all transactions in the state of Illinois. No no yeah. person's going to go spend 600 bucks to, to get all the information. And so, that, yeah, and that's kind of why there's the delta that there is. So I think that'll yeah. that'll continue to change in our, especially in the next ten years. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, before we hop off, tell uh, tell my people where they can find you at. Yeah, or my person. So the, there might only be one person that listens. 
Yeah. So the land. <laughs> Tell my the mom land... where she can find you at. <laughs> uh, Ryan's mom, you can find me at uh, on the Land Podcast. Uh, we have new episodes uh, every week, typically drop on Monday, and then um, we have some YouTube clips as well from the show. If you're a video guy that just wants to watch a snippet of the conversation on YouTube, it's just Jake Hofer. And then for Exodus, we have uh, the Exodus podcast, which is every Tuesday, and then ExodusOutdoorGear.com to find all of our stuff there. So Google Jake Hofer or Google Exodus Outdoor Gear, and you'll find uh, everything we have going on. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here, and it's fun. Everywhere I look, no matter where I'm at, I see your work all of the time. Now that I, it's kind of the you're looking for a red car, I don't, basically, whatever, now that I know, Everywhere I go, it's like, oh, there's Ryan's work. There's Ryan's work. I like look at this box yeah. ammo. There's Ryan's work. There's uh, I go to someone's <laughs> house, like, oh, there's Ryan's work. And so that has been really, really cool. Yeah. And I, I uh, what you're doing here on the podcast and what you've done as an independent artist is is really fascinating and cool. Like go to a you go to a banquet. Oh, there's Ryan's work. And so uh, I just I, I admire what you do and and the work that you put in and and how far and wide it is. And I bought the the collab piece from Land Legacy with the the oh, like, yeah. farm management thing. I love that. That was. I'm gonna hang that up in my office, and uh, I just. I really appreciate the work that you do. Cool, man. Well, ditto. I appreciate everything you do, and I appreciate the words, man. And uh, just keep cranking out the the land podcast. So, I'm all ears. If you have ideas, you just text me. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you just text me when you have an idea. All right, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. So I'm gonna stop it.